and you are listening to Dream Infringement. Introduce yourself. No way. Introduce yourself. Okay. My name is Jennifer, and I couldn't think of anything that rhymes with that. I like Korean dramas, and I live with two cats. We've hosted this show for almost six years on KSKQ, and it wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Huh? Snazzy, right? I am one-third of Dream Infringement, but Bobby and Emily are with me again in spirit, just projecting their non-corporeal manifestations through the airwaves. It's what good co-hosts do, cross over time and space to support each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. So tonight I have selected a sort of a musical rags to riches theme because humble beginnings can sometimes create great outcomes. And they're usually something that we can learn from looking into other people's histories. Like, how did growing up that way impact their music? Did it become their strength? And did they choose to give back once they had something to give? So our first uh, candidate, award-winning singer-songwriter and now author and actress, Jewel Kilcher, usually just known as Jewel, faced some rough times growing up. When she was eight, her parents divorced. Her mom left, leaving her with her brothers, with her dad in Alaska. They lived on a homestead. She states, We lived far from town. We had to walk two miles just to get to the saddle barn I was raised in. No running water, no heat. We had a coal stove and an outhouse, and we mainly lived off of what we could kill or can. We picked berries and made jam. We caught fish to freeze and had gardens and cattle to live on. I rode horses every day in the summer beneath the Alaskan midnight sun. I loved it there. But the downside, she said, my dad had really bad PTSD from serving in the Vietnam War. But those words weren't really known at the time. He tried to drink to handle the anxiety, and he became abusive. Kilcher and her father sometimes earned a living by performing music in roadhouses and taverns as a father-daughter duo. She began living on her own at 15. She said, I started paying rent and working a couple jobs in town, hitchhiking to work. While working at a dance studio, she was referred by the instructor to the Interlochen Arts Academy in Michigan, where she applied and received a partial scholarship to study operatic voice. Local businesses in her hometown helped raise a total of $11,000 to pay the remainder of her first year's tuition. So she moved to Michigan, where she received classical training and learned to play guitar. After graduating, she moved to San Diego to join her mother. She worked in a coffee shop and as a phone operator at a computer place. She was homeless for a year during this age of 18, battling kidney problems and living in her car. She traveled around the country doing street performances and small gigs. So what made her believe in herself and keep going? That was interesting to me because she didn't think like, I'm going to be known, I'm going to be famous. It seems since she had used music to generate an income since she was young, she knew it worked. It was like just another tool or trade. She would say at the time that having a successful musical career seemed unimaginable. I honestly followed my heart and had no designs on having a big career going. 
I really enjoyed writing songs, but I went back to singing because I was raised in bars singing with my dad, and that was the way I knew to make money. I felt like I may not be the most talented person, but I can write songs and I'm good live, and I knew I could work harder than most people. When I got signed, I thought it might be a career, and this part of her story I found interesting because it was really smart for as young as she was. She said, I read the book Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman, and it taught me that whatever money you take up front from a record label, you owe them. So I took hardly any money. I just asked them to pay my rent and rent for my family. And I never had a tour bus or even a van. I always had a rental car. I was making folk music and I knew, first, that I'd never make a ton of money. Second, I don't like owing money and that's why I was in my car. And third, I made a deal with Atlantic that if I sold records, I made money on the back end, not the front end. And I felt more comfortable with that. So what about giving back? She's been in several different charitable organizations, Higher Ground for Humanity till about 2005. Um, she started a project called the Clean Water Charity in 2008. In May 2013, she served as an ambassador for Rethink Why Housing Matters initiative. I wasn't able to find anything more current. That doesn't mean she's not doing something, just my Google skills only go so far. So here is one of the earlier songs from her musical career entitled, You Were Meant For Me. So that was Jewel's story. On to our next rags to riches story what whoa did you feel that did you hear that i feel like my aura was just kind of infringed on oh oh no it's happening again what's going on it's it's bobby and emily projecting themselves through the astral plane hey guys how are you doing how's it going greetings to you all this is bobby and emily yeah, you probably remember us. We're the other two-thirds of Dream Infringement, and we've taken about a month break, but we are easing our way back into the show. And so this is us easing our way back into the show. What more explanation do you need? Come on. Yeah, you don't need to know what we've been doing for just, the last month. Just know that we have been productive, and we have stayed true to who we are. That's yeah. all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Mm -hmm. Also, thank you, Jennifer, for holding down the fort. Yes. The dream infringement fort. Yeah, she has been a fine captain at the helm. But yes. But it's time for us to take that helm back. Um, I don't think so. You have been demoted, Jennifer, back down to the bowels of the ship, you scallywag. I'm just kidding. No, she's going to... Swab the poop deck. <laughs> something like that. I don't know any more mar mar it's fine. mariner, maritime lingo, so I'm going to stop this. Okay. But we have two tales of rags to riches. Yes, we do. Emily's going to... She's going to kick things off. I am. So this is more of a 
rags to rhinestones kind of story. Oh boy. How does a child, one of 12, born in a one-bedroom cabin in Tennessee, go from that to donating a million dollars towards the COVID-19 vaccine uh, you may know as Moderna? How does that happen? Uh, I'm baffled. Please tell me. Well, if you don't know who I'm talking about, uh, it's Dolly Parton. Yes, Dolly Parton. Yeehaw. Indeed. Yeah, so she was, um, most of us know that she, she, um, had a rags to riches life. Um, she was born, I already said, she was born in a one-room cabin on the banks of Tennessee's Little Pigeon River. She had six brothers and five sisters. And as a kid, she said that she used to imagine that the chickens in the yard were her fans. Isn't that sweet? That's that's so sweet. She was she was an entertainer from day one. Yeah, entertaining those chickens. That's it. What a like, what a cutie pie. Yeah, <laughs> you can take you can take the entertainer off the stage, but you can't take the stage off of out of the entertainer's heart. Yeah. Did I make you? Are you crying? No. Oh, okay, I thought <laughs> it wasn't that stuffy. No, as I I, I have a little bit of a stuffy nose. Yeah, ignore what I just said. It wasn't as poetic as I wanted it to I, be. I checked out a little bit into it. <laughs> Something about the stage in our hearts. Yeah, it's okay. in all of our hearts. Anyway, so she had uh, her chicken fans in the yard, and then she became a local child star on the radio and TV, and she recorded her first single at 13, and she moved to Nashville the day after she graduated from high school. So she was like on the fast track fast yep. track to stardom get this woman a guitar yeah she probably already had one get this woman a guitar and a microphone <laughs> get this woman a contract um so she in nashville she wrote several hits for other artists um and she was still in her teens before she got her first solo hit in 1966 it was called dumb blonde and she has built her career on completely cutting criticism off at the pass by owning it herself so she knew she was aware that people would pick on her looks and just be you know the horrible stereotypes uh that there are for women and i'm sure existed to a great degree oh, yeah when she first started her career yeah and she just took the reins and she has said that she would be like the first one to make the joke she didn't want to wait around or if somebody made a joke on like a late night show she would make an even bigger joke so she was like in control of what was happening yeah so that's one way to do it and really that's the only way back then How, what yeah. else could you do yeah um so a lot of her songs are uh sad kind of empathetic stories about mistreated working-class women. Um, she included subjects such as suicide, miscarriage, alcoholism, drug addiction, homelessness, incarceration, murder, arson. And she, yeah, she just, she's so beautiful and has the voice of an angel, and yet she was able to cover topics and give voices to people who had horrible situations in life a true artist truly 
she's been married to her husband, Carl Dean, since 1966, and she never wanted to be called a feminist. And in fact, she actually really tries to stay out of politics and she doesn't really talk much about her personal life, which I think is interesting. I think that that keeps her clear of criticism because her actions are truly speaking louder than her words. She has become a beloved philanthropist. She has funded <clears throat> scholarships, um, wildlife charities, hospitals, and a literacy program that has given away more than 100 million books to children. So that's pretty incredible. Wow. And I think that, I don't know, I don't know what her secret is. Maybe just staying humble and not like giving too much of herself away because yeah. we don't know a lot about her personal life. We just see her actions and the songs she sings. We know she cares. And I think that's probably why people, especially like the media has always kind of like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like attacked like what it was that they could actually get their hands on mm -hmm. like or like sink their teeth into it was like her looks what visually she was like she couldn't help but put out there mm -hmm. you know and and then of course you know the work that she did but that's all that's all she she gave anyone yeah and so they're gonna you know they're gonna attack what what you give them yeah and she only gave what she was forced to give as an entertainer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So um, Dolly Parton has said in the past that she has a favorite song and it is a personal story, probably one that if you know Dolly Parton, you know the story and you know the song, but it is the coat of many colors. It's a true story about her life and a time when maybe she was monetarily poor but she was rich in the love that her parents gave her. So here it is, The Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton. Together, so in every piece we love, she made my coat of many colors that I was so proud of. As she sold, she told a story from the Bible she had read. That was awesome. Oh, oh it looks like their signal's weakening. They... Oh, well, maybe they'll be back. But until then, let's go on to the next story. Kelly Clarkson was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Her mother was a first grade English teacher and her father was an engineer. Her parents divorced when she was six years old. And I couldn't find out why this particular arrangement happened, but her brother went to live with her father, her sister was raised by an aunt, and Kelly stayed with her mom. She and her father have been estranged for quite a while. She said as a child they lived pre-paycheck to pre-paycheck. I definitely had this whole mentality. I was like, whatever I'm going to do, I just don't want to have to worry about that. I don't know one poor person that's going, money doesn't buy you happiness. It pays you to get out of eviction notices, so it's pretty good. While she was in the seventh grade, she was encouraged to join the choir by a teacher who heard her singing in the hallway. She performed several musicals and participated in a talent show while in school. And after she graduated, it seems like she was like, I'm going to do this. So she saved her money. She recorded a demo 
and during this time she actually declined to recording contracts saying they would have completely pigeonholed me as a bubblegum act. In 2001 she moved to LA and did some work as a TV extra but most of the recording studios rejected her stating that her voice sounded too black. I have thoughts on this but I'm not going to share them because you're probably having similar thoughts so we'll just think our thoughts. Yes. Anyhow, she said my apartment in LA burned down and I had to move home. I had no money and I had to sleep in my car for three days. So she returned to Texas where she worked at a movie theater, promoted energy drinks, worked as a telemarketer, and as a cocktail waitress in a comedy club. When she first tried out for American Idol in 2002, she'd learned about it from her friends who encouraged her to audition for it. However, she didn't really know what she was auditioning for. She just knew that whatever the gig was paid and figured she'd wind up as a backup singer or something. I didn't go into it thinking this would happen. I went into it thinking it might pay my electric bill. She was eventually crowned the winner of the inaugural season of the show, and it earned her a million dollar record deal with RCA Records. So she has her record, her record deal, but producers in the entertainment industry told her her songwriting was subpar. She says a a group of men thought it was okay to sit around a young woman and bully her. I was told I should shut up and sing. I wouldn't like being told that either. Obviously her songwriting isn't that subpar because she has made bank with it. So maybe they're just older manly producers who aren't in touch with like what a young woman would want to sing about and listen to. She's also had to deal with a lot of criticism about her appearance. She revealed like right during the early years of her career she battled with depression and suicidal thoughts and as a result she ended up getting thin called the diet of misery and eventually she kind of pulled up out of the depression by realizing some people are toxic so she, and saying, you're not good for me. I can't save you and I'm drowning because I'm trying to help you. It was really that moment of trying to be all things to all people and it's like, I can't. I was around some really negative people and I got out of it because I also had a lot of great people there. So it was more of a case of turning around and facing them and walking towards that light. However, she says, It's when I'm fat that I'm happy, but no one actually cares about your health. They just care about aesthetics. People should just concentrate on their own lives and their own health and their own happiness. And whatever that looks like for you, be happy with it. So she is involved in so many like fundraisers and charity events. What I got from reading accounts about her life, she's very extroverted. She feeds on the energy of people around her. And so she does tend to, I mean, it made sense reading about how she was getting depressed because like the people around her were stressful. And so with a lot of her charity work, she's personally there. She's personally singing. She's personally involved. Like she's very hands-on. She has an impressive philanthropic record, which I think is really awesome that she, that she uses her celebrityism to try and make the world a better place. That's pretty cool. The song I picked was from one of her earlier albums. It's Since You've Been Gone. And all you'd ever hear me say is how I picture me with you. A 
just a few minutes before the halfway point of the show, and you're listening to Dream Infringement. We air Mondays from 6 to 7. It's me, Jennifer, and my two lovely co-hosts, Bobby and Emily. And now, back to the show with our next Rags to Riches story. Jung Joon a.k.a. singer and actor Rain. He was born in Seoul, South Korea. He was a very introverted and shy child, but got the desire to become a dancer at a talent show, stepping forward to imitate what he saw on TV when no one else would. And he found the applause was very gratifying, and he decided right then to become a professional dancer. To learn, he sought out older street dancers who sometimes helped him, and other times bullied and beat him up. Rain and his younger sister, Hannah, enjoyed a comfortable life until the Korean recession of 1997, when his father's mill and bakery business failed. Bankrupt, his father left for Brazil to pursue economic opportunities, leaving Rain's mother to try and support the family as a food vendor. Rain got a start in the entertainment business as part of a six-member boy band called Fan Club. Rain described the members as caged animals, locked in the rehearsal room for up to 10 hours without food. After Fan Club released only two CDs, the company promoting them failed, and he was back to square one. During his junior year of high school, he lived with some of his dance group members, subsisting mostly on cups of ramen noodles. He auditioned 18 times for entertainment companies, but was told that, although he was talented, he was too ugly to become a star. Did, um, did they not check with any teenage girls before making this declaration? Because once anyone caught sight of him, like, no one was saying that. So finally in 2000, he was accepted by JYP Entertainment as a trainee. He had to go through a grueling three to four hour audition and CEO Park Jin Young described him as desperate and like a tiger who was about to starve to death. Because um, he was. Uh, but JYP stipulated that he needed to attend college. So he studied ferociously and got accepted into the Kyungi University and became a music major. He spent three years as a trainee and backup dancer for JYP, who stated that he was particularly critical of Rain in order to push him to be the best and keep him from getting a swelled head. I think I'll use this logic for anyone that like criticizes me from now on. Like, I'm choosing to believe you're just saying I'm not fantastic so I don't get a big ego about how amazing I am. That's so sweet of you, but like, too late. To me, this is so heartbreaking. So during Rain's time as a trainee, his mother became increasingly ill with diabetes as she lacked money for insulin or medical care. Rain drove himself hard to prove that he was ready to make his debut, but he didn't achieve success in time to save her life. She died of complications from diabetes a year before he debuted. He has said in interviews that he regrets having conflict with her over skipping school to go to dance practice. He says that a major motivation in his life is to make her proud, and he visits her grave before embarking on each new project. Another motivation he mentioned is remembering what being hungry was like. 
Today, Rain is one of the richest celebrities in Korea. He and his super famous actress wife, Kim Tae, are one of the K Entertainment's most powerful couples. I couldn't find a lot on his charitable work. In the 2000s, he was really focused on kids, like helping with programs for missing kids, orphan kids, kids in foster care. And over the years, he's performed at concerts for various charitable causes. Very recently, on the NBC reality show called Hang Out With You, Rain surprised fans by forming a supergroup called SSAK3. Although originally intended to be a tongue-in-cheek one-off project, the popularity of its nostalgic 90s music exploded. All proceeds from the album are to be donated to charity. This song is called Why Don't We by Rain. Oh, I'm definitely feeling it again. Are you, hey, guys. Guys, are you there? Hi there, Bobby here. I am here to talk about famous actor Sidney Poitier. He passed away um, several days ago at the age of 94. And uh, in his New York Times obituary, Poitier was described as America's first black matinee idol who helped open the door for black actors in the film industry. In 1963, he became the first black actor to win an Oscar for Best Actor. He was a phenomenal actor and a phenomenal human being. Um, my connection to Sidney Poitier, yes, I have a connection. It's not like me and him, you know, uh, ran into each other uh, at a truck stop bathroom. It's nothing like that. But, um, but uh, a movie that he's famous for in playing a role in, uh, is Lilies of the Field, and I became familiar with that movie uh, just a few years ago. I, I, you know, had Sidney Poitier and his like films in my peripheral growing up, um, like To Sir With Love and movies like that. Um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Uh, but but this particular movie, I just I it came on TV. I think it was on Turner Classic Movies, um, and. I was watching it and it's a really wonderful movie about just this like drifter, this guy played by Sidney Poitier uh, passing through this town and he runs into a group of German nuns and these German nuns need somebody to build a church and so Sidney Poitier gets, you know, they convince him to do this, to take the lead in doing this and and he he builds their church Um, and uh, of course, you know, he just shines like the movie star that he is um, with all of his ability and acting, you know, acting ability. Uh, but one of the cool things that I noticed like halfway through watching it is that it was filmed in Tucson, Arizona. Like I recognized the mountain line um, in the movie and was like, that looks familiar and looked it up on the internet, which one does from time to time and found out that yes, it was filmed in Tucson, Arizona. So that's my connection. Uh, But uh, I'm not here to talk about me and where I grew up. I'm here to talk about Sidney Poitier. And uh, he, 
So Sydney was born on Cat Island in the Bahamas. It, he was raised in a very poor family, um, and he was actually born premature. He was just under three pounds um, when he came into the world. And in an interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, um, it was he was quoted as saying that his mother went to a soothsayer to kind of get an idea of what um, what would be happening with Sydney because he because he was so sickly when he was born, um, they didn't expect him to live very long. In fact, his father had built a casket for him um, just in case he passed away as a baby. But his mom went to this woman, um, I guess fortune teller, soothsayer type person, and um, she said to his mom not to worry about him, that he would live and that he would walk with kings. She said to his mom that he would travel the world and that his mother's name will be known and heard in all the corners of the earth. Sidney did not have very much education. He uh, didn't start going to school until he was 11, and soon after he was taken out of school so that he can help work and provide for the family, um, as you know, a lot of people did who were poor back then. Schooling was not, um, it wasn't always a luxury that many people could afford or, um, or have time for. Uh, so he helped support his family, and eventually... He made his way to New York, and he saw an ad in the newspaper for an acting role. And when he went to try out for the acting role to audition, when he started to read the uh, the person who was in charge of the audition heard his lack of fluency as he was reading. It was very like um, robotic um, because Sidney could read, but he didn't have the fluency and the smoothness of like you know of, of someone who would be able to get a role as an actor and immediately uh the man in charge of the audition he he made him stop made sydney stop reading and told him basically go find a job that you can handle this is not for you and he just threw him out of um you know out of the uh the theater that he was um, auditioning in and said, uh, you know, you know, maybe try dishwashing. Uh, and so that was something that was really profound to Sydney because um, he, he apparently, his thoughts about this were that this man who doesn't know me and doesn't know that I'm actually a dishwasher assumed that the ceiling of my dreams would be dishwashing. That is as high as I could reach. And it was interesting hearing his interview because he explained a little bit of what was going on in his head and that he had no desire to allow dishwashing to be like the end of his um, abilities. He was determined to be more than just a dishwasher. And so um, because he was so poor and grew up so poor, he didn't have access to television or um, or to really see any movies. In fact, he, he said that he was kind of baffled by the concept of movies because he it was something he wasn't familiar with. And some friends had invited him to go see a movie at a theater 
um, at the cinema, <laughs> and uh, he uh, it was a western, and he was just blown away with the visual aspect of it um, when he was introduced to it. Of course, this is like long after his childhood. He's already a man trying to make it in the world, and he and he becomes familiar with movies then, and. Uh, and because he was poor and didn't own a television and couldn't go see many movies, he decided to work on his uh, his speech fluent fluency uh, by listening to radio announcers. So he would listen and examine and and really turn his ear to radio announcers. So another way that radio. Um, has molded the kind of person that someone would like to be. Radio is so influential and accessible. I love that about radio. But that's what Sidney did. He he listened to the radio and listened to those announcers and and his voice is like his signature, one of his signatures. He's so smooth and well-spoken and just absolutely um, artistic in the way that he puts words together. It's like listening to a poet, um, I think. So, yeah, so that's Sidney Poitier. That's how he kind of, uh, you know, got his start. And um, he ended up offering, even though he wasn't getting roles at the very beginning, he he ended up getting trained in an acting school uh, that did not accept him initially. Uh, they they kind of rejected him, and then he noticed that they didn't have a janitor, someone who could like pick up and empty trashes and mop the stage. And so he went back, and he offered janitor services in exchange for acting lessons. It's just absolutely amazing to me. And of course, um, in the 60s when he was first uh, you know, hitting the ground running as an actor and being offered roles, he said that you know, a lot of the roles that black actors were getting um, were very stereotypical. And it was kind of the universal thought of black actors uh, to just accept whatever roles were, were out there and you just take what you can get but Sidney Poitier he expressed that it was never his desire to just take whatever he could get that the roles that he accepted that he take had taken on were roles that were in harmony with who he was as a person with his values and you can see that in the movies that he chose to be in Yes, this piece is to pay homage to Sidney Poitier. He had a fantastic career filled with so many roles that were true to him and spoke to us as humanity. And I just am so grateful to have lived in a world where Sidney Poitier movies can be so accessible and can be watched and learned from. And so... A few years before he passed away, he was asked in an interview why he didn't do any movies anymore, um, to which he said, I'm 73 years old. I have been working in films for 51 years, 
and I've made a great number of movies, and there are other areas of my life now that the most important currency I own is my time, and I need to spend it now with a great deal of care, you know, for obvious reasons. And I just simply don't have the time to go over ground I've covered. At least, I don't want to spend the remaining time I have in this life of mine doing things that I've done before. That was Sidney Poitier reflecting on why he doesn't do movies um, at the ripe old age of 73 years old. And to that, I say, Amen, Sidney Poitier. In Lilies of the Field, Sidney Poitier at the very end has finished building the church. And he sits down with the nuns inside the newly built church. And he talks about how amazing it is that we all did this. We built this church together. And one of the nuns points to the fact that it wasn't by their own ability that they built this church. It was by the Lord's. And he looks at her in agreement and nods. And he begins to sing this song. Here is Amen from Lilies of the Field, sung by Sidney Potier and a bunch of German nuns. See him in the temple, talking with the elders, who marvel at his wisdom. Down at the Jordan. Where John was baptizing. Oh no, our, our link to the third dimension, it's, it's closing. It was nice to hear some stories from our favorite co-hosting couple, though. Alright, so we have just time for one more Rags to Riches story. Selena Marie Gomez was born on July 22nd, 1992 in Grand Prairie, Texas. Let's just take a moment to feel old together. Her father was Ricardo, and her mother was a former stage actress named Amanda, both parents being just 16 years old when she was born. Her parents split up when she was five. The family had financial troubles throughout her childhood, with her mother struggling to provide for the pair. She later added, My mom was really strong around me. Having me at 16 had to have been a big responsibility. She gave up everything for me, had three jobs, supported me, sacrificed her life for me. She shielded Gomez from the ever-present financial difficulties. I remember always being reminded that people had less than we did, Gomez says, and we didn't have much, but I felt like we did because my mom was always doing a hundred million things just to make me happy. And we volunteered at soup kitchens on Thanksgiving. We went through my closet for goodwill. Her grandparents often took care of her while her parents finished their schooling. We'd play outside for hours, and my Nana and her friends would be sitting outside with their iced tea. It wasn't a lot, but it was great. Selena wanted to be an actress after watching her mother prepare for stage productions. The actress began auditioning for various roles, and when she was 10 in 2002, she appeared in 13 episodes of the show Barney and Friends. I was very shy when I was little. I didn't know what camera right was. I didn't know what blocking was. I learned everything from Barney. During that time, Selena had smaller roles on TV shows. Her big breakthrough came when she got a reoccurring role on Hannah Montana in 2007. She later auditioned for Wizards of Waverly Place and got the lead role. 
Then she and her mother moved to Los Angeles for the job. At 16 years old, she signed with Hollywood Records. She started Selena Gomez and the Scene, her first band. Their 2009 debut studio album topped the charts when it was released. In 2013, she launched her solo career with Stars Dance. She has had more than seven top 10 singles and has sold more than 7 million albums worldwide. She's also starred in a number of movies and TV shows and has had a number of other ventures, actually many other ventures, including an eco-friendly clothing line, a perfume line, a hand-bag line, a makeup line, and more. Uh, when she was 17 years old, she was appointed UNICEF ambassador. In addition to her music and film and TV career, she's known for her large social media following. At one point, she was the most followed person on Instagram. She was diagnosed with lupus sometime between 2012 and early 2014. In 2016, she canceled the European and South American part of her tour due to anxiety and panic attacks and depression caused by her lupus. Following the cancellation, she checked into a rehab to focus on her mental health and was absent from social media. She revealed on Instagram later she'd withdrawn from public events because she had received a kidney transplant from her friend Frankia Risa. The actress has been public about her health struggles, about her struggles with lupus, and lately she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Reading interviews, I found Selena to be very aware of how her actions affected people who looked up to her as a role model, and that she very deliberately used this platform to try and change things for the better and to send out a positive message. And I found that most interviewers seemed to be absolutely charmed by her, to find her very charismatic, very warm and thoughtful. In 2008, she began more of her philanthropic works, just many charities and events. This seems to be something very constant in her life, is giving back. So the song I'm going to play is one that she considers to be her best. It's Lose You to Love Me. I needed to hate you to love me, yeah. Well, we've reached the end of our show. Thank you so very much for listening. And we hope you tune in again next week. That's right. We're on Mondays from 6 to 7. And if you have a mind to, please check out the KSKQ website at kskq.org. You can listen to this episode again or past episodes on any podcast app or itunes just type in dream infringement thank you bye